Welcome to the Anti-Failure Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kendall, here to bring you nuggets of wisdom from business leaders, founders, owners and managers who have all walked the path you're on now. With me today is the founder of Stone Real Estate, Peter Mumford. I'm lucky to have known Pete for quite some time now, and Peter's one of those business people who are just built differently. After cutting his teeth as a chef for Qantas almost straight out of high school, Pete opened his first restaurant at just 23. This quickly grew to three venues across the mid-north coast of New South Wales. 1994 saw him exit his position in the restaurants and open award-winning catering and events company Blue Rock Group. With a long list of prestigious clientele, the business was then acquired by Ridges Hotel Group in 2001. Not one to sit still for long, Pete launched and promptly sold Crave Coffee Plantation and Coffee Roasters between 01 and 03 as he looked to transition into the real estate sector. For his first foray into real estate, Pete built and grew Charles Park Insight Real Estate from three agents and 800,000 to 55 FTEs and revenue of 5.5 million in just three short years. Without breaking stride, he then took over the Northern Beaches rights at McGrath as their first franchisee, growing and selling multiple offices to help establish the brand as one of the top four real estate groups in Australia. In 2014, he made the courageous leap to start Stone Real Estate. Observing a gap in the market, he set out to create an agency that approached property services differently. Fast forward nine years, and he's the CEO and founder of one of Australia's fastest growing real estate groups. Welcome, Pete, and thank you for joining us. The first question for today is twofold. Firstly, what do you think gave you the entrepreneurial spirit or drive at such a young age, and then what makes you so good at it? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm so good at it, because I guess part of your podcast, Any Failure, I've had quite a few failures along the way and, and your short intro there sort of makes it sound much more efficient and glamorous than maybe it really is uh, <laughs> because there's been some good failures on the way and the coffee plantations one which we'll talk about in a minute. I think um, you either have it in yourself to want to build something or you don't, I think. But that's a simplistic view. In, I remember in year seven, I knew I wanted to be a chef, have a restaurant and actually have a white Porsche. I never had a white Porsche. <laughs> did have a black one. <laughs> so girls, the goal started early. It did start early and I think it probably comes from mum and dad because they had a small dress shop in yep. Manly. So I grew up around, you know, being in, in the dress shop on the weekend, playing with my toy soldiers in the shop while they were pricing dresses and stock taking. So I grew up with that and dad always said, you know, you've got to be able to do everything in a business, whether that is go and fix the toilet basically with that little dress shop or serve customers. <laughs> So I yep. grew, up, grew up with that ethos. And I think just having that drive of wanting to... I, I would look at people, I remember when I started as a young chef and I was kept coming home on the bus from Qantas smelling as fish. The good <laughs> thing about that, though, no one ever sat next to you on the bus. You had a right. seat to yourself. But I remember coming home going, look at all these people in suits and they seem to be running a glamorous life. How do, how do they do that? So Interesting. Always, so a know, sense of curiosity starting very early on. Yeah, and how do I, how do I make money? <laughs> right. So... I, because um, I knew there was like something going on out there that I d obviously didn't know about and there was a better life uh, than a kid growing up in Dewey fighting for your lunch at school, literally sometimes. And I always wanted to have a better life. And, and what was it about that experience at Qantas that gave you the sense to really step out and take on your own business and create a restaurant? Again, I knew that's what I wanted to do in year seven. I knew I eventually wanted my own restaurant. Right. I think going to Qantas too, though, when I my first flight... I was 17 to America. You paid 10%. In those days, 120 bucks to go to America return. Right. 10%. It 
But what happened was, besides going from camping all the time to going to staying in five-star hotels, which became an expensive passion, um, it opened your mind to seeing and meeting lots of people. So one of my first trips, I met these people in Kansas. He owned three McDonald's stores, his own bake, a piggery and a horse stud. Yeah. Opened my mind to more owning your own business right. and giving it a go because you can change your life. So oh, a couple of years out of my apprenticeship, I opened my first restaurant. And do you remember that first day of... Of, or the last day of walking out of Qantas and, and the things that you were thinking about on your way into your first restaurant? Yeah, yeah interesting. I left Qantas halfway through my apprenticeship. It was the, the be all and I thought be all and end all where I wanted to be, but I realised soon that I wanted more hands-on cooking. So I left halfway through and went to a small game and seafood restaurant in Manly to with, learn with the French chef to learn more from everything, where Qantas was learning all about bulk cooking but also first class but in large numbers which helped me later on in the catering business we started so I went to that and then anyway when I left that other restaurant that I went to um, I went and worked for a couple of businesses for uh, I guess a year and a half or two and then eventually launched our own business. Fantastic so it's interesting that you started out as a Qantas chef you wanted a restaurant and now you've ended up in real estate can you give us just the highlights of how that journey or even the lowlights of how that journey has, has transpired. Uh, when we sold our catering company, we can always go back to and how we started that. That was an interesting experience from success and failure. After selling that, we went to our farm. We were going to um, build a coffee plantation. Didn't work out how I wanted, but we did start and grow it and build a brand and sold the brand. Then I thought, I've got to do something. Real estate looks easy. <coughs> Naive that I was. Right. And that was in 2004. So then okay. we basically start a business called Private Sellers to help people and buy and sell privately. Because at the time I thought, right. you know, real estate agents would be like, use Carlsman. Right. Like, use car salesman. Um, and how wrong I was. <clears throat> Once I got into the industry and realised there's some ph phenomenal professionals in the industry. And sure, there is some rogues as well, which we know in real estate, but there's more good people than bad. Yep. So I started this business helping people buy and sell privately. I found that everyone wanted to pay the full commission and really didn't want to do their own sideboard, majority of people. Right. So then we evolved and started our own brand. And then I think we built McGrath, beat McGrath in turnover in the local area. They started six months prior. They approached us to be their first franchisee. And we started, I think, with them in 2006. So if we look at that career progression, there's clearly been some success. Can you think back on any failures along the way that motivated you further to, to take the next step or, or the things you learned from failures along the way that you've ultimately used to get to this point. There was a couple of great books that helped me in life. It was Think and Grow Rich. Just loved that book. And Robert Kiyosagi books. So one okay. of the things I think for a lot of young kids when you're at school, and I wasn't particularly fantastic at school and left in year 10, was that we're taught at school that we almost have to be a master of everything, good at everything. But the reality in business, you don't have to be good at everything. You have to be good at a few small things and find what those passions are that motivate you to be successful. As we talk about accounting all the time, Chris, Yep. <coughs> accounting is not something for me. It bores the shit out of me, accounting. Yep. I love looking at the P&L every month and I look sure. at how we can cut the P&L and save money and, and things. But ultimately, I love building a business to marketing the brand. So I focus on that in my business. Right. But what I've done over the years is get people that are much smarter than me and better at roles within my business to grow faster than try to do it all yourself. Or at school, you're taught you've got to be good at everything, but that's right. not how you be successful necessarily. So let's explore that a little bit further. You say that accounting is not a skill set that you're necessarily drawn to, but you understand the importance of information running your business. 
Oh, yes. So, I mean, look, when I say I'm not drawn to it, but in the early days, I used to do my own MYAB and the rest yep. of it and so on. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I like looking at the P&Ls and yep. I understand P&Ls and balance sheets. I just don't get as excited maybe that you would yep. or Andrew yep. would at, at looking at that where I'm, I love the branding and marketing of a business and the excitement of building that. Right. But not, if you're not monitoring things, you're not looking at your P&L and realising why has that cost gone up and how do we trim that monthly Yep. and going through each account code, well, then you're silly because you need to. And if you don't want to do that, you need your account to sit with your monthly and go through and, and, and show you, mm-hmm. you know, these expenses are up because that's really important. Otherwise, you can be putting all the money in the top of the funnel and it's running out the back door. Right, right. So it's using, it's using that information in a way to manage your business rather than having to data enter to get all of the information out the back end. You, you yeah. rely on others to yeah. give you that. Well, I don't. That's correct. Like, I don't sit there and analyse, like, again, you yep. would, you know, I'm sure love doing spreadsheets probably as a kid. I don't know. But yep, yep. <laughs> I don't do spreadsheets, but I have people that will prepare them for me because I have the time and I love looking at them going, what can that do if I, if, I, if I add extra amount in sales or I save on that cost? I always more look at not cost saving but more growth. Like, yep. if I can put more agents in or I can get that sponsorship, how will that affect my spreadsheet? Interesting, isn't it, how those levers work, but if you don't have the information, it's very difficult to make those decisions. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people always look at that info, um, and that's part of what we would like to encourage more across our business, teach our principals more about... How to read a P&L. How, how to read a P&L, yeah. fully understand it, to play around. You know, we've got some profit planners, uh, software we have now, um, and teaching them how to use it. Can you think of one failure on your journey that still motivates you today? Well, it wasn't necessarily a failure, but it was someone someone said. I remember when I left Qantas after two and a half years, this chef said, you'll never be successful when you leave. So that really motivated me. And, and usually when people tell me something you can't do, I sort of, you know, I take the long game and I'll... So I remember a couple of years later, had a successful restaurant, seeing him, he'd left Qantas or been sacked. And he was now working selling ovens at a trade fair. And I just took great joy of walking past and sort of telling him what I was doing. Fantastic. Uh, so that was not necessarily a failure. It was more a success that when people sometimes tell you you can't do it, that actually they're not realising they're putting fuel in my tank. You know, it's not to prove wrong. I don't know what it is. It's just... Is it in a way proving yourself that you're, you can do what people others, other people don't think you can do? Um no, I don't think so. Like, I always have... You have good like, confidence, courage. Yeah, like, you know, as often you, me and Andrew will talk and I stress him out because I'll say I'm doing this or I'm borrowing this or I'm expanding that. I guess I have an unwavering belief that it'll work out in the end. Right. Uh, yeah. Almost a blind faith, but not really. Cause you've well, got- I'd sort of calculate out and I'll go, what's my what's my worst position if this happens? Right. But, you know, like I was 52 when we started Stone and, and I'm very lucky that my wife of 30 years in February allowed me to sell the family home, all our investment properties, three other residential, commercial, just to fund the business. Right. And that was a really big leap of faith. So, you know, part of that is having the right partner in life that helps you do things. For sure. That was pretty gutsy, I think, at the time or idiotic. At 52 to start a, start a, um, a national brand. And I think that's one thing about small business and small business owners is that they don't get enough recognition for the courage it takes to back themselves to go and pursue a passion. Yeah, I know. I think I mentioned that to a, a local member the other day, sort of saying um, this whole payroll tax is such a lurk. The, the rest of the cut, most of the employers don't know that we get charged a payroll tax for employing more people. So how does that work? We could have a whole that? podcast on my views oh, of payroll tax. I mean, like, there's no incentive. They don't give you an incentive. Like, we now must have about 750, 800 people across the group since we started that have all joined the franchise entity and working for the principals. Created a great little business. There's no reward from the government, really, for doing no. that. 
Instead, they'll work out how they can tax you more to penalise you for trying to employ people and be more successful. So, yeah, I see it the same way. Mm. I see it the same way. So you mentioned the plantation business. Let's explore that a little bit further and what what the learnings out of, if that didn't go to plan or we can describe it as a failure. I'm not sure. Oh, it was a good failure, that one. Spectacular. So let's explore the, the failure elements of that and how it influences you today. Don't be a farmer. (laughs) <laughs> they need okay. more respect. Yep. Uh, my parents had a farm, so they had a beef cut farm, and we had beef cattle going. But we went there after selling the catering company, thinking, well, let's take a couple of years off and decide what we're going to do. I was 40 or something. Of course, being me, sort of, well, what can we do? And I like coffee. Why don't we create a coffee farm while we're having downtime? So we planted 33,000 trees. We had the ag department out, had all the consultants put in frost irrigation to protect the trees. It should have worked, but the guys that sold us the um, irrigation equipment didn't really allow enough pressure with the pump each time the water came around basically encased the tree in ice like an ice cube oh wow so we had iced coffee that morning but i <laughs> was literally the morning of my 40th birthday no kidding to the morning we wake up in this little shack we had on the farm and breathing out cold air in the bedroom and lucid oh no what about the coffee i got up went drove around came back lou asked me how's the coffee how's the coffee and he said just let me make a coffee and i'll talk to you so anyway basically each coffee leaf was encased in ice so we wrote oh. off thirty-three thousand trees 400 grand in one night Wow. Which at the time, I didn't have a lot of wealth behind me, but I think I had a, was just about a quarter of my wealth or something. Yep. So it was a lot. Yeah. Anyway, the next year we planted 10,000 by hand, kept the trees alive through the drought. There was no water, so we, the only water on that we were irrigating was the rows of coffee up and down the hill. Right. And to keep the cows alive, we would move electric fence between all these coffee rows to walk the cows up and down the hill to feed them the grass that was growing between the coffee Anyway, this $10 part in this 50 grand computer control pump froze when the only frost came all year and uh-huh. they died again so so real estate looks easy <laughs> know nothing about it we'll give it a go but but we did build a brand crave coffee and then we on eventually on sold the brand and the roaster because we created a brand it was very much like illy flavor coffee packaged in similar cans how they yep. did and everything and we were going to build that whole paddock to plate story from mid north coast anyway drag me back to city yep we were building a couple of townhouses at the time in sydney at the same time Tried to start a real estate business. The girl that I partnered with fell in love with someone and she was not putting her effort in the business. So I thought I'd have to come back. And that's how we built a little start in real estate. Fantastic. So from failure to success, of course, took me into a better industry. And, and so are there things now that you think differently about that perhaps on the way into the coffee business you might have done differently or, or when you went into real estate following those things in plantation that you now do differently? I think when the coffee was a hard one, we already had the farm where it was, so location, but, you know, I would have gone further north. But yep. <laughs> go, what would I have done differently? Things have changed a lot from our digital and social media. Yep. So if I was going to business today, social media and digital marketing is is, every, is so much and it's cheap and it's effective. Yep. Um, didn't know anything about it in those days, but we could have, you know, you think of it today, I probably would have got an influencer running around. I don't know. Yep. Hippie sprouting their best coffee beans this side of the black snub. I don't know. And found a better irrigator. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, real estate again I would have started in social media and built more of a, a presence there having Start having with. spent I guess three careers in one cooking your own restaurant coffee business yeah. and now real estate is your approach to each of those businesses the same do you apply the same principles what, what is it that you can draw across all three that perhaps you still apply passion and energy <laughs> okay so Although let's talk about that a little bit where does that passion and energy come from I don't know. I think it's something... It's hard for me to say that because I can only talk about how I feel. And a lot of people in life have... If you share your passion, I'll share mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always been motivated about building businesses and making money. It's fun. Yep. I, look yep. at, I look at building a business like a big Monopoly game. 
Okay. I used to play Monopoly with mum and yep. dad all the time and that was great fun. Um, and you wanted more money than mum and dad at the end of the game. Well, it was about, I think it's not having more money because I'm not particularly wealthy, but it's about what money gives you. It gives you more choice. It's like when you get on a plane, if you've only ever flown economy and you go left to business or first, the first time I flew business, you go, how long has this gig been going on? Right, right. <laughs> like, yep. These guys have got beds yep. and they've got real glassware yep. and they still give you cutlery. Yep. Um, and then you go, oh, I can't go back. Okay. So how do I make that happen where yeah. I don't have to? So yes. for me, that always motivated. And I'd, you know, I used to buy magazines and stuff. And I go, how do I have that? Because it's experience. You know, like mm-hmm. we love traveling now with our family. The experience we've been able to do is very different than if you're on 60 grand a year. If you're driven by that from more experiences, that's why is the, off, the offshoot of making money, right? Money mm-hmm. is just a tool to give you more choice in life. Right. And, and part of me, I think, was also about I didn't want to be poor when I, I, didn't, I don't want to have to go to retirement home. That's just yep. a personal thing. I'd rather right. be at home and have the nurses look after us and yep. feed, me, feed me through my straw, but at least still look at a view. <laughs> yep. Yeah, fair uh, enough. Yeah. You mentioned earlier how you think or how you, you approach a new business idea or at least real estate when you went into it at 52. Is any of that informed by the risk of failing or is it more focused on what you can achieve when you bring the right group of people together? What, or is it both? Well, I never think of failure when I start a business. Are you worried about failing? Is that a motivator in what you do? It's interesting you say that. I had a good friend once, Mark, went through what are the motivations of why do you want to build a business. And when it distilled down, it was the fear of not being poor. I've always tried to create some backing behind me so I'm not poor in old age. That's probably the fear side. The plus side is I just love, as I keep saying, building business. The motivator of... Mm-hmm. Engaged in something that I love doing, which is business. I just, you know, it's really a lot of fun. So I don't necessarily think of the failure... Has it stressed me out? Yeah, I've got like days when we started, you know, we, I think we had about 18, 20 million debt and I was only making, I was probably still losing 120 and I got shingles, couldn't walk up the stairs, yeah, you know, I stress, yep. um, had two young kids, family, and we're all still together. So that's a good thing. Yep. So I wouldn't wish that on anyone. You know, you, do you think that's going to happen? Do you think you're going to be that stressed? No. And if you thought of all those things that could happen and stress, you'd never start a business. So my success is being naive in lots of ways and not thinking through all the downside, but just thinking of what is the upside. And, and I always, you know, I do the business plan and look at it and look at the numbers and extrapolate it out and go, well, if we open 100 offices across Australia, what would that be? And how, how, how are we going to network? I don't look at the downside. I just have a, in my mental mind, well, if it goes really bad, I'll have to sell that property, which I did <laughs> have to sell that property to then find the next venture interesting so almost having a a security blanket in the event that things don't go to plan but the motivation is more about building a business and following the passion of that business i think so so i think that's the thing and you read it and hear from so many amazing coaches or people out there in the world you've got to find what you're passionate about because if you're not really passionate about you're not going to do it and i realized through that journey i'm still passionate about cooking but am i passionate about building a hospitality business no i was at the time but we find in life that our passions will change in what field we're in but you know so i found my passion which is business and if i like that sort of business i'll do that I think it is mostly about passion, not worrying too much about the risk, but assessing it. And this is where it's good to have your consultants with accountants to look at the numbers and what's the worst position. But you have to be totally driven if you want to do it. Otherwise, my belief is you won't be as successful as you should, or you might walk away just before it's about to be successful. Okay, that's a good segue into you've now established a real estate business. You had a business partner, didn't work out. You moved into McGrath, didn't work out. Something in well, you that said... that said, I would have stayed in McGrath. They were very So let's, exp- let's explore sneaky. that a little bit. We were like in their top five or six offices every month in turnover. When we started, they only had eight offices. And we, I think we opened about six with them across the beaches. Right. We built up quite a successful business. And in franchising, you usually have two five-year terms. We went through the first five years. 
We wanted to renew the next five, which was our option, but they had the right to increase our minimum revenues. We paid fees on, which they did. After all of that, and they put fees up, we said, look, we'll agree, but I, I would like another five years, so I've got security now for my family Yep, with you because I want to stay. Said, oh yeah, no, just sign this, we'll come back to you. And um, do it in six months, we don't have the paperwork or the new franchise agreements. Oh, okay. That went on. I asked them 18 times for renewal. Unbeknownst to me over that two years, they were starting to build for a float. And how I looked at it, they were trying to take offices back for free without paying. Right. So in the end, I said to them, and I sent them an email, I said, look, in the end, I'm going to have to have my own brand outside of my territory. So if you don't renew, I've got something else to go to. So they didn't respond to any of those emails. Anyway. It wasn't until I opened an office they got knocking and in the end we negotiated to separate and get out. But that was they were really sneaky. But you know the crazy thing here, Chris? I was happy to stay. Liked the brand, happy what I was doing. I was making good money a year. I um, was working three days a week, loved it. Would have stayed. Instead, they made me their largest competitor. Since that, about three or four of their top management guys have all joined us because they prefer our culture. Interesting. And now we're the fastest growing real estate franchise in the country. So there were things you learned from the McGrath experience that has informed or yeah. been part of your passion to build a culture that's different. Correct. We what you know the difference was we were still always treated a bit like we worked for the McGrath and it wasn't really our business even though we had all the money invested as a franchise we weren't necessarily treated great like that and I didn't believe they walked talk with the culture we wanted to make sure that with stone we work for our clients our clients are our franchisee and our agents mm -hmm. they come first we work for them i wanted to make sure what was missing too that we taught people how to grow a business mm -hmm. not just how to be a salesperson we do all that right. we've got you've got to you know we built online training platforms and great content that even some of these top brands still don't have from a digital point of view but we care about them i'll speak to people seven days a week if any business owner wants to talk to me get advice we really care about that right culture and if they want to stay with us we want them to stay with us too that's a really interesting approach particularly in franchises and my observation is that not always is the franchisor interested in franchisee success except to the extent that royalties flow correct and i, I think that's the wrong way you've got to i was listening to luke one of my partners today talking to a potential new agent that wants to have his own business and what luke's saying is very true it's not about the amount of turnover it's about profitability we want to coach you on. Sure, and, and, but if you have more profitability and you build more turnover, you'll be more successful. We win together. But we do so much that agents aren't great at, which is recruitment and tools yep. like that. We help them for free. Where a lot of these franchises just charge them for recruitment yep. services. But I go, well, if we help them recruit, we get a small part of that revenue as well, so we all win. And, and you and I have talked about the opportunity for a value-add service from the franchisor to the franchisee, which is all driven at helping them be successful, which ultimately helps you be successful. Correct. And I, and I don't know what it is in real estate. It's a funny, it's a funny gig. There's a lot of egos, unfortunately, that run around with, with um, it can be in the industry. But if people were just more relaxed and, and treated their franchisees or agents or whoever like their clients and mm -hmm. looked at it like that, mm -hmm. I don't know whether it's me coming out of hospitality, you yeah. know, because... Everyone's... Well, there's a surface culture yeah, and it's being applied in a different way. And I, and I think I'm very lucky, you know, our business is successful, not because of me. I was just the idiot that decided to take all that risk at 52 and bet the farm, so to speak. But what I've been most excited about and grateful is the management team and partners that have joined us, uh -huh. you know, in the business and come on this journey because they've made the business with me. You know, that having the getting the best people, getting the right culture that they want to be in your business is yep allows you to build a fun business. And, and the product of those other career choices, the failures, the people who have yeah. said you can't do it, at least you didn't make a decision to plant one more 10,000 sets of trees, right? No. Uh, 
So all of that has yeah. has got you to this point and, and the things that you're passionate about leading in your business. Yeah. So there's different things you've learned on that journey, right? Correct. I, and it's hard to know, I think, as we all get older, and I'm 61 now, I don't think I'll ever not be in business till the day I die because I sort of love it, even mm-hmm. if I wasn't in real estate, but I have no intention of getting out of real estate. I'd still do it because I love business and interaction with people in business, and it's fun. Can you think of any example where you were faced with something so big that you thought, this is too hard, I can't do this anymore? I mean, okay. you talked about the physical health issues that you had as yeah. a result of the stress and the things, but there's something inside of you that says, I, I want to take one more step. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Must be my, just your makeup, you know, I guess. Um, but I guess it's never giving in. Again, what is the motivation and why you're doing it? And the joys have to outweigh the bad over a period, say you took a 10-year period. Mm-hmm. But there's periods when we started staying for four years, it was costing me two million bucks a year. And, and so that's why I sold all my properties to fund wages mm-hmm. and take that risk and back people. Because we partnered agents in and they didn't have to pay back anything to us until I made that office profitable. That was rather stressful at the time. <laughs> that's, that's putting it all on the line, isn't it? So I don't know why, but I think a lot of people, their goal is not big enough. You know, their why, why we're doing it. But that saying that people say, that BHAG, the big hairy audacious mm-hmm. goal. Yep. I found as I got older, I created a bigger thing, image I'd put on my phone that is so far, it would mean I had to have 100 offices comp- right. from when I was starting. Right. That drove me and motivated me more to, I guess, focus on the big picture and not sweat the small stuff yep. on, the, on the journey. You mentioned earlier your family and Lou and, yep. and people who have believed in you on the journey. How do you as a business owner not let the failures or the challenges of work influence home and vice versa? You know, the kids or whatever yeah. it is at home not influencing the person that you are. Well, well, I, don't, I, I think they do influence you to a point that I don't think you are the best husband, best dad that you could be if you weren't running a business. Right. Just got to be honest, you know, I'm very lucky with Lou because we've built businesses together since we, you know, Lou was 22. So we've been together a long while yep. and Lou started building stone with us as well. It's only in the last couple of years that Lou's dropped out of the, the business, which I felt good about for her because it was about time she had a break. Yep. But we've yep. always, we were lucky because we've been such a good team and we're better at things. You know, I can't spell for nuts. So Lou always fixes my emails. <laughs> so if you ever get an email from me and it's spelled correctly, it's probably been hacked and it's dodgy. So at least that's a way of protecting my emails. Yeah. I haven't worked it out yet. So it is always, it's the partnership, but I think it, these things that do suffer, you know, but the good has to outweigh the bad. We all make mistakes. We don't have enough time with our kids that we should. Just say I was a mm-hmm. bus driver and I worked nine to five. Well, I could have more time to be a better dad potentially. Mm-hmm. But then I'm hoping I'm also teaching my kids that if a guy in lifting year 10 can have enough passion and do what I'm doing and still enjoying it and build a successful business, they can too. The opportunity. So I'm hoping... Same. That motivation gives them something. But, you know, I'm lucky. We go on great holidays together and we all seem to get on pretty good. Can you think of any times in your career where external factors outside of your control, you mentioned being locked in the freezer. 2008 financial crisis, yeah. How, how did you use those as motivations rather than throwing out the white flag and saying, I can't do this? Again, I think this comes back to you, you're in a belief. I never thought it was over. I might have been one of those guys on the Titanic that jumped off without a jacket and thought he'd survive. I don't know. I think it's just through sheer perseverance and a bit of half luck. And the other half, yeah, you don't give up. So, you know, the financial crisis was terrible. We just opened two other offices, ended up having to sell a couple through that period. We just opened and took on huge debt. And then I remember it just happened, you know, it just happened. Yep. And I remember having to cut 800 grand in OPEX costs off our business within a month to survive. And there's a whole other story in that. But I think it's being adaptable. And the one thing I've learned, over the years of business through a couple of recessions, the 90s and 2008 and so on, is react quicker. 
cut faster and harder than you ever think you need to. And do I do it well today? No, I'm still bloody slow at it because it's people are involved and, mm-hmm. it, and it hurts when you have to let someone off. But you've also owed everyone else to make the company survive that are involved with that. So yeah, I think it's just react quicker when, when a recession... Fail fast, the concept of... Yeah, cut back to survive. Yeah. Survive the nucleus of your business so you can... You know, it's a bit like trimming your plant that's got dead leaves, trim off the... The dead ones, mm-hmm. maybe keep the sticks so when the sun comes out again, it'll grow. Sort yeah. of. Okay, let's let's switch a little bit now to talk about real estate. It's a data-driven business. How do you use the financial... You mentioned earlier you like to look at a PL. You like to look at the data and make decisions based on that. What is the value of real-time information in your world? Oh, it's everything. The more you can be looking at what's happening from a revenue point, forecast. You know, in our case, you know, we look at everything from listings and stock, which could be potential sales, the amount of stock coming in, the amount of appraisals happening through the network, through to what's, what's exchanged to when it's settling. Uh, we're constantly looking at it almost daily because it gives us a clearer picture on what's happening with the business. We can forecast or go, oh my God, that's happening. Where are we going to be, you know, we haven't sold enough stock this month. That means in six weeks or so that revenue is going to drop or it's going to be less. So maybe we won't expend that sort of money and go out and buy a couple of new computers, example, you know, yep. or we won't open a new office. I think you've got to be looking at that all the time and learn whatever business you're in, what your metrics are. And if you don't know how to analyze that, speak to people like yourself. We're always talking and I'll say to you, Chris, about a whole lot of things like we're talking today about how do we put in safeguards in our business to make sure fraud doesn't happen and how do we get better accounting and better accountability about purchases within our business as you know we've expanded so much this is where people need to spend more time with their lawyers and more time with their accountants especially in lawyers field that there's people that specializes so i'll have different lawyers for different tasks whether it's franchising or real estate and i i I think when we're all starting business we shortchange that sometimes like you know you've had such a broad experience across various large businesses that is invaluable for small business owners like myself that wouldn't couldn't afford someone like that at a full time but can go have you thought about this or putting this safeguard in place or have you thought about analyzing these numbers so yep. we should ask for help some key insights that you've helped me with today is you talk a lot about your team you don't talk a lot about me or i and and i think in my experience through my career i've learned in a similar way from things that i didn't like in those different positions to ultimately create what we've created with aritex and we talked a little bit about outsourcing and you're right the ability of small business to invest in full-time resources with the level of expertise is limited so there is a way that we can bring a shared service which is a combination of people process and technology to help them provide or give them the information to then analyze and, and course correct yeah and it sounds like you've found an effective mix of those things to be able to rely on the people who who have the expertise i think it's the, you were saying earlier what are some of the things you've learned you do differently doing it differently as as has evolved like from when i first started in, in business and didn't understand how accounting worked really and the different skill levels of mindsets there's really something different than the local small accountant to someone like yourself that's been cfos over large companies you can add all the small accounting knowledge but you can also look at it a very large helicopter view which is right. great when you're building a business because people like myself don't have that knowledge that's yeah. not our area you know I, I just run out and take crazy risks and build something i'm passionate about but i need the expertise to make sure how we can improve things mm-hmm. um, and it's the same with lawyers as well as i said yep. before I, I didn't realize was when i started out there was you just sort of use the one local family lawyer for everything but that is so not true and like you know we have the franchise lawyer and then we've got a real estate lawyer and if you need a litigation you got a litigation there, there's so many areas so I, I think they're one of the things i've learned to tap into quicker they're the things you learn through business like anything you know i wish i 
the knowledge I have today, I wish I could take it out, you know, USB and turn my age back to, you know, mid-20s right. again or 30 mm -hmm. and go, plug that in. You could get there faster. But there are some of the things we like to help our franchisees with, share that knowledge, how to grow their business faster because we've been practitioners. Passing on that knowledge. Yeah. Helping others be successful. And that's the fun part I like in mm. what I do now. We were coaching the young guys this morning and I wish more of my franchisees will you know, reach out and say, can you help me get there faster? What What do I need to do? I think a lot of people just hold back. Like I used to be at school. I was worried about putting my hand up and having the wrong answer, you know, when someone had asked. How many questions. times do you have to step forward in business not knowing the right answer, but have the courage to put your hand up? It's very different, but so I don't know why I didn't do it at school, but whether yeah. it was just how the schooling system was and you felt bad and embarrassed compared to doing it yourself. You know, I wish we could help more people. I love that coaching process. Yeah. It's sort of shame. look, this worked, this didn't. Certainly try it. You know, get them there quicker. You mentioned your passion earlier. I think one of my passions is I'm a massive small business advocate. I don't think that small business owners get enough credit for the risk and the courage and the willingness to back themselves and go out and create a business that is employing others or, or allowing them to pursue their dreams. And, and that's one of the benefits of my job is that I get to do that every day. Clients ring me with, here's a question or a problem. What do you think? The conversation yeah. we had this morning. Let's talk about how we've had share experiences and how does that make us better now? Yeah, we are a bit lonely as small business operators. Mm -hmm. Very different, I think, if you go out and you raise and you spend other people's money. You do an IPO, you, ra yep. or you raise a shitload of money beforehand, but you're not actually, and I've seen so much of that happen. But I wish I had that, you know, like I've had to leverage against my house, my home, yeah. everything. And if I didn't survive, I lost everything. That's a small business owner. And I don't think the government gives enough support about that. No. Maybe there should be incubation loans or... or for small businesses that we don't have to pay back like yeah because the amount of people we employ and how we help how that filters through the community society and the local shops and the spending and, and drive and motivation um instead um go on about it again they tax us payroll tax payroll tax is not a, i'm not a fan no well, it just doesn't make sense does it right it we does employ not. more people you get to x amount what what's the payroll tax limit now in wages 1.2 million in new south wales yeah and it used to be 600 when i started yep. but yep. So you, you create that amount of wages you're paying to people to keep them off the dole. Which is going back into the economy yeah. and then you're penalising. So and they charge I don't want to grow point. my business before beyond $1.2 million because I, I don't want to pay 6%. But the government, of course, won't pay it. That's just ways of them trying to fix their bad spending habits of wasting the money <laughs> to stay in power. But that's a whole other subject. That is. Um, that is. But, and then they tax us this amount of money, which limits us for employing more people when you're a very small business. I used to remember the restaurants. I could go, well, I can't employ another two people because I'll go into the payroll tax, which means I'm going to pay 6% off my bottom line. Yeah. And, and if that, you're only making 10%. Then we're, we're better off going not being in business. But the average employ, employee doesn't realise this. No. And the government's not talking about it. I mean, it's not, anyway. Yeah, they want to grow people's wages and, and jobs. Get but then they want to penalise the small business owner for yeah. taking the risk to give those opportunities. Yeah. yeah. It's a anyway, much bigger topic. Yes. You mentioned, and, and a theme that I'm learning out of talking to business owners or, or leaders of business is the loneliness, that gut reaction to, I've got everything on the line and there's not an ability or people who understand. How do you draw on people around you to have or release some of that tension? Is, is there a way that you talk with others, share it, or you just don't share it, you just deal with it? Everyone's different. I mean, there's so many business groups that you can join. I went mm -hmm. to a few in my younger days. Yes, I'm a bit more of a loner. <laughs> yeah. But I was very lucky. You know, I've got Louise, my wife, and we've shared everything we'll talk about. And Lou's such a great sounding board. You know, when I might be feeling a bit hot-headed and want to kill someone because they've done something really bad in your business. <laughs> and they will say, well, just think of it like this. No one's ever so, done anything yeah. bad in your no, business, no, have no. no, or ripped you <laughs> off or something. It's good having a good partner. Yep. And if you don't have a good partner, you need to find someone you can talk to. But equally, I have, as we've said before, accountants and lawyers that I would chat to about 
if I'm thinking of doing a deal on how would that work, it's a bit of a sounding board. Ultimately, I guess I'm pig-headed because I'll probably still go and do it anyway. At least you could say you did it with a bit of information. Correct. So I think it is important to have that because it can be a lonely, especially um, when you're juggling salaries in a business or how do I work out what's fair. People's livelihoods. Yeah. We're dealing with that yeah. every day. That's a, that's a burden we take yeah. to bed with us every night. And some people don't see that. I guess it's like, you know, I've been that frog in the hot water for a long while. So yeah, you sort of get right. used to it. But there is something in there that says, you know what, I, yes, I'm going to still put my best foot forward. I may not be my best in every moment, but you can count on me to put my best foot forward. Yeah. I think you've got to generally care about people in your business. And as I said, you know, before, there's been people who've had to let go and I've kept them on for nine months longer than I should have because mm-hmm. I was worried about them. Oh, so let's talk bad. about that for a minute because I think that's a common theme too for small yeah. business owners. We become very loyal. The business requirements yeah. change and the people that have been serving you so well for a long time, their ability to change and adapt to what the business needs. So yeah, it that's a once. very big... It happened once. We had a great person and uh, our business evolved from a company model to a franchise and it was a different level style of person we needed for that franchise. And, and that was the hardest, one of the hardest things I have done of letting that person go. It brought tears to my eyes. It was really hard, but we couldn't afford both. We needed someone in a diff- slightly different role for that yep. franchise entity. And that was really tough. And that took me nine months. Yep. And it cost me a fortune because I wrote 50 and all that. Yep, like it. yep. It, it literally took six months of my profit out to pay them out. Right. Which is really hard. I was already, you know, like not making much Borderline, money. Borderline, yeah. I was making less yeah. than they were as a wage. Employees and employers don't realise that. That is the hard thing of running a business. Sometimes mm-hmm. you are making or losing money and you're paying your employees. But of course, you take all the risk and then sometimes you're going to make really tough decisions. So, you know, being in business is not easy, but it can be highly rewarding and fun too. For sure. A very good conversation. Thank you for sharing the journey and and some of the things that you've picked up along the way. Is there any one final piece of advice that you could offer listeners of that you've learned perhaps the hard way and that would help? Think bigger. (laughs) Yeah. Don't be afraid to think big and bigger. Mm -hmm. Most of the time we all think too small. Keep that dream in front of you on your phone screen or something every day that is going to motivate you not to sweat the small stuff. And remember, it is a journey. There's no one reward. And enjoying the experience, but also your life's no dress rehearsal. So you don't want to look back and go, I didn't give that a go. I think that's really, really important because life is too short. I don't know where the last 40 years ago. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. um, I was saying to someone last night, the older I get, the smaller time seems to be. Yeah, that's what I have more motivated. I'm going, shit, I don't know, am I going to last two years? Am I going to last 20 years? I don't know. So now every time I build a business, I want to build it faster because I've got less years on the planet. Very good. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. That's the Anti-Failure Podcast with Pete Mumford.